What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Copon. It's October 29, 2021, and this is Lift and Learn, episode 59. In this episode, I'll be talking about food tracking and the first topic for today. I'll go over the pros and cons of that. And in the second topic, I'll talk about just how hard you should be training. Before that, though, I'll talk a bit about what I've been up to lately, and that might include fitness-related topics, and it might not. If you want to follow me, your host, on Instagram, it's isaiah.copon, and you can also check out my website, isaiahcopon.com. The podcast is on Instagram, at liftandlearnpodcast, on Twitter, at liftandlearnpod, and also on Facebook. You can just search Lift and Learn Podcast. With that being said, let's get into it. Alright, so let's kick things off with how my training went this week. I think it was another week that went pretty well. My training was all over the place this week though. I did two full body days along with some upper and lower body days. And I'm really glad I did that because in the middle of the week actually I started to feel a little bit sick. I think that was Tuesday and Wednesday. I don't know what happened. I just woke up. I just felt a little stuffy. It was I was probably uh, one degree warmer than usual, and my throat was a little sore. It could have been a combination of a whole lot of different things that happened leading up to that point. I've been working a lot lately, been waking up at a bit past 4 a.m. every morning, And that's either to work or to train myself. So that meant less than six hours of sleep for a few nights in a row. So I knew to take it kind of easy this week. I took Tuesday off from the gym and then thought about taking Wednesday morning off. But that didn't happen. I ended up waking er uh, up early that day. And I figured I might as well go to the gym and do a little bit of something. uh, Especially since it was an upper body day. And when I got in there, I just could not resist grabbing the 120-pound dumbbells for the first time since before the pandemic, actually. So I probably hadn't even touched uh, hadn't even touched those until early 2020. And I repped that out for a few on flat dumbbell bench press. That was actually pretty good. I probably could have got eight reps for four sets, but like I said, I wasn't feeling 100% this week, so... I did take it easy, so I got four sets of five reps. I just wanted to touch that weight once again, and I'm glad I was able to get that for a few sets, despite how I felt that day. I think all of this sickness, though, started. I started feeling it on Monday, which was my lower body day, and I was scheduled to hit deadlifts at at least 315. Uh, that's my progress lately. It's been like 295, 300, 305, and then yeah, so eventually I'm at 315 right now, but since it was the start of my week, I tried to start things off on the right foot, so I brought my lifting belt that day, and yeah, so I brought that with me to the gym, and plus my straps, I had them in my bag, 
so yeah, for deadlifts lately, I have been working slowly up in weight. And my last session was uh, last week. I think it was Thursday or Friday, and I did 315. So three plates with a double overhand grip with no straps. Well, that Monday, uh, a few days ago, since I had my belt and my straps, I decided to test out 365 that day. So a 50-pound jump. And again, it went well. But I think I just shocked my CNS, my central nervous system. I think I just shocked it so much that it just kind of threw off everything else for the week. Like, um, yeah, like I said, probably my lack of sleep, overworking, overtraining, plus that deadlift day probably just sent the shock throughout my body and I needed pretty much the rest of the week to rest and recover. So hopefully a lesson learned there. I have to remember sometimes that it's just not all go, go, go. Sometimes I forget to take a step back and I need to just treat myself like I would one of my clients. Because if I had a client doing whatever I did this week, I would have 100% told them to take it easy. But it's hard to tell yourself those things when you're just so used to being stronger or just pushing through whatever adversity is in your way. And man, as much as I talk about the best strategies to stay healthy on here, on this podcast, and I would consider myself a fitness professional, but even I go through those times where I'm stubborn and I'm not listening to what my body's telling me. So going forward, I need to just stick to the plan and try not to rush things when it comes to progress. Because when you do try to rush the process... That's when those setbacks are much more likely to occur. Luckily, I didn't get injured this week, but just the fact that I might have pushed it a little too hard earlier this week threw off the week, uh, sorry, threw off the progression this week. Just a little bit though. So I need to just stick to the plan because I have to remember that everything will just be okay and there's no need to do anything crazy. Luckily, so far in my lifting career, at least in the gym, I haven't had any serious injuries to deal with. Moving on from that and on to hockey, of course. The Chicago Blackhawks had an interesting week, to say the least. And wow, they're playing absolutely terrible out there to start the year. Still without a win this season, and they were so close to getting their first one versus the Leafs on Wednesday, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think I might have to change this podcast rating to like explicit or whatever because, oh my god, when I talk about the Blackhawks and how they've been playing, I really just want to swear so mm, badly. So mm, badly. Man, the team just sucks right now. And it just doesn't help that our big offseason acquisition, Seth Jones, is just bad. This guy doesn't even use his stick defensively in his own zone, and now I'm getting YouTube-recommended videos about how bad he is on defense, backed by stats, advanced stats, and video replays. Even during their game versus Detroit, you could just see that every time the other team had the puck, they were just going straight after him every time they had the opportunity. To make things worse, the best player on the team, obviously Patrick Kane, He actually missed some games and will miss a few more because he's in COVID protocol. Some other players joined him but were released soon after. Then a few days later, 
the captain, Jonathan Taves, he was in protocol too, but he was also released quickly after. I didn't think he was going to play uh, in the Leafs game, but I did see him out there, so good luck out there, boys. We have an AHL team out there now at this point. <laughs> see you next year. This season is probably unsalvageable after this uh, start to the season. And honestly, the head coach, Jeremy Colleton, will probably be fired soon. Every Blackhawks post on their Instagram, uh, the comments are just flooded, just begging for him to be fired. And some shakeup within the organization has already started. That's Dan Bowman, the GM. He has resigned. Hallelujah. And he actually resigned amidst the handling of those sexual abuse allegations from 2010 that popped up during the summer. And this investigation could be unrelated to what's happening on the ice, but makes you wonder. It has to be at least a little bit of a distraction for some of the players. But honestly, on a more serious note, after the allegation stuff became public on Tuesday earlier this week, it's been really tough to get excited about this team. I even debated for like a day whether... I'd even cheer for the Chicago Blackhawks anymore because of the way they handled this whole situation. It just disgusts me. Especially after reading some of the official reports. The organization covered up all of the sexual assault and abuse stuff during um, their first cup run in 2010. And there was even some bullying going on with at least one of the three defendants who Brad Aldrich abused. The report also mentioned that the coach at the time, Joel Quenville, he said that in a meeting, he said that because they were pretty deep in their playoff run, going after the Stanley Cup, that they should basically deal with these allegations later as to not destroy the team chemistry, basically, which is just horrible. Brad Aldrich also went on to coach a Michigan high school team later after leaving the Blackhawks um, after a... Yeah, he got a positive and a glowing review from the organization and then proceeded to sexually assault a 16-year-old boy later in his career. And it's just a really bad look for the organization. It's really hard to cheer for them at this point. Like, the current captain, Jonathan Taves, and Patrick Kane, they were both on the team while all of this was going on. It's just tough, man. I've seen so many comments on the Blackhawks Instagram about like fans leaving because of this and it got even worse after the Leafs game this past Wednesday night. Taves and Kane were interviewed about the whole situation and their comments were just typical hockey PR stuff saying things about how their focus was just on the Stanley Cup and if they could have done something they would have. They were both saying that they believed Stan Bowman to be a good man because of the relationship and friendship that they formed over the past 11 years or whatever. And even the captain, and it really disappoints me to say this, he was saying that he didn't find out until training camp the next summer. And it's just so hard for me to believe that uh, that, that was the case, seeing how John Doe himself was saying that he 100% believed that everyone in the locker room knew because everyone heard the homophobic slurs that were directed towards him. Alright, so um, John Doe in this situation, he came forward and revealed himself earlier this week. It turned out to be Kyle Beach, and we may not have heard 
about him much in terms of his accolades in the NHL, but that could be because of this whole situation. It ruined his life. So that's something that he's obviously had to deal with in all aspects of his life. The half-hour interview with Kyle Beach on TSN was just sad to hear. Uh, If you want to hear a bit about what it was like from his perspective, it's on YouTube. And I'm not going to lie, I cried watching that video. I don't want to say there's really any good news in light of all of this, but some positives with this is that no upper management is with the team anymore. Well, the team from when all of this stuff took place, since Bowman and the senior vice president, Al McIsaac, is also gone. And Kyle Davidson is now taking over as interim GM. But yeah, it's still pretty disturbing that the franchise is kind of tainted now at this point. Also, Joel Quenville actually is officially out as head coach of the so far undefeated Florida Panthers. So the only one left in the league at least at the time of me recording this podcast, the only one left in the league from the Blackhawks upper management from that 2010 team is, I believe, the Winnipeg Jets GM, who was the assistant GM of the Hawks at the time. And honestly, I think he's going to be out within the next few days. I don't really want to dive uh, too deep into that anymore, but it's just a really bad look. And in the end, all the league did was fine the Blackhawks just $2 million, which is just pennies to the organization, seeing how the CEO is worth over $500 million. More news about this is sure to come to light over the next few days or weeks, but it's just not a good look for a team that I've been cheering for for around a decade now. Just sad stuff, really. Alright, moving on from that one somehow, let's go to basketball since I forgot to mention this last week. The Raptors got their season started a few weeks ago, or maybe it was just last week, I don't even remember now. And the Raptors look so different this year, and we got a few young players, including Delano Banton, who is actually from Toronto. He's a Rexdale man's. And he had a memorable first basket in the league. He ended up throwing up a shot from half court and nailed it at the buzzer. A three-pointer. I think uh, that was the end of the third quarter of the home opener for the Raptors. So the crowd went absolutely crazy. Besides that, though, he's looking like a steal. I think we got him as the 40-something pick. And he's done great so far, actually. He already took Malachi Flynn's spot on the team and... It looks like he's starting to take minutes from the NBA veteran, Goran Dragic, too. We also have Scotty Barnes, who is up there in terms of the Rookie of the Year candidates for the year. He's looking like he was a solid pick. He fits right into the Raptors' playstyle. I'm not going to lie, I was one of those people wondering why they didn't draft Jalen Suggs, but man, I was wrong. Never doubt Masai Ujiri. The man just does his job when it comes to picking his players and making teams. Barnes plays on both ends of the court, and he's just dunking it on whoever is in the way. The Raptors are 2-3 and right now. Not great, but not too bad also. They're actually playing, uh, playing pretty well right now, even though they do have such a young team right now. And today, actually, Friday the 29th, It's actually Scotty Barnes versus Jalen Suggs, so we'll see who can win part one of this rookie duel.
Other than that, I don't really have anything else to talk about. There was a new Buzz Lightyear trailer, and I don't know if you watched it, but I'm going to spoil it for you. Buzz Lightyear has hair? I had no idea until seeing that trailer. Oh yeah, there's also the Atlanta Braves and Houston Astros meeting in the World Series. Like I said, I don't really watch baseball, but the series is tied 1-1, to and this is for the championship, so maybe I'll tune into the games going forward, we'll see. Let's just get into the fitness topics for the week. Question 1. Pros and cons when it comes to tracking your food. Here's a topic that gets brought up a lot, especially since I'm a trainer that talks a lot about tracking your food in order to make progress. But, just right off the bat, no, you don't need to track your food in order to lose or gain weight. But, I do think that it could help you a lot, especially if you're someone who has repeatedly tried to lose weight by simply just starving yourself, or if you're someone who doesn't even know exactly what you're eating in terms of calories or macronutrients like protein, carbs, or fat. In that case, I do believe that tracking your food could help you, and it could help you in actually a lot of ways, and I'll go over a few of those. But I do also understand that there are some negatives or some downsides when it comes to tracking your food, so I'll go over that as well. I doubt I'll be able to cover every single angle or every single pro and con when it comes to tracking your food. I'm sure we'll revisit this one day in the future, but I do have a pretty good list here, so let's just get on with it. If you're someone who doesn't know why they're not losing or gaining weight, then Food tracking and all of those apps can help you in this department significantly. It's happened time and time again over the years with clients, and even for myself back when I started lifting. Personally, I thought I was a hard gainer, which is basically someone who struggles to put on or gain weight. And I do believe that still is the case, but not as much as I thought it was back then, before I started really working out. I do find that it is harder for me to gain weight, but that's just simply because it's hard for me to actually eat thousands of calories. It wasn't until uh, after I started actually tracking my food for a week or so where I realized that I actually didn't eat as much food as I thought I was. With food tracking, I was able to see that some days I would definitely eat more than 3,000 calories, so I had some days where I ate a lot. And then other days, I would barely have 2,000 calories, so I had days where I was up and days where I didn't eat that much. And in the end, that evened out to where I wasn't eating nearly as much as I thought I was on a consistent basis, and not as much as my body needed in order to gain weight. I think I figured out at that point that my maintenance calories was only around 2,000 calories at the time. So, alright, let's go over some more pros uh, or some positives when it comes to food tracking apps like Fat Secret or MyFitnessPal, which is the one I've used the most over the years, or even newer apps like MacroFactor. And I just went over it briefly, but that's learning about yourself. You're learning about your own eating habits. If you track your food for a bit, you'll start to realize what you eat on a regular basis whether that be mainly whole foods or highly processed foods, or if you're eating out, maybe too much. 
Maybe you're like me, where you realize that you do need to eat more on a consistent basis if your goal is to gain weight or build muscle. And these apps help you with that, and I know it has definitely helped me in that regard. That was one of the first things I brought up to my friends when I first started lifting weight in college. I was telling them how I can't gain weight and that I've been trying to do so for years. And then they told me what the secret was. A lot of pasta. And me being young, I followed that blindly since they were bigger than me. So they must know what they're talking about, right? Ultimately, it was the pasta that helped me push push my weight past the plateau, but that's because of the amount of carbs that that made me eat. I was used to eating only rice at that point since I'm Filipino, and eating all of those carbs on a daily basis, I used to bring these these big Tupperwares full of just pasta and butter with parm cheese. (laughs) After that, I quickly pushed way past what I thought was my weight plateau or whatever weight I thought I was stuck at. And yeah, that was because of the amount of carbs I was eating. And that helped me eat more calories than I have ever before in my life. And it was truly an eye-opener. So speaking more about learning, you can actually learn more about foods too. Back in the day, I didn't even know what a carbohydrate was or what a protein source was or what fat sources were. So these apps definitely help me with that. When you plug in whatever food you're eating, it'll give you a breakdown of what exactly is in those foods. So you're able to learn and know more about whether you can get whatever kind of macronutrient you're looking to eat. Now, I generally know what protein sources are meats, fish, and beef, and chicken. I know that good good fat sources are things like nuts, avocados, olive oil, butter, and carb sources like pasta, rice, quinoa, fruits. But remember that all foods contain a little bit of all the uh, macronutrients. Like, you actually notice the difference between medium ground beef and lean or extra lean ground beef if you look and actually analyze the foods that you're eating. And food choices like that could make a huge difference for you depending on what your goals are. And it seems pretty easy to me now to determine what to eat or what's in the foods I eat, but that's only because of the amount of years I've been using these kinds of apps. All of that learning over the years. Aside from the macronutrients, carbs, fats, and proteins, another important factor to think about is the amount of fiber you're eating. This is also really important when it comes to your overall health, and you're able to keep track of this with these apps as well. Fiber is something that regulates your digestive system, keeps you fuller longer, and could actually improve your cholesterol and blood sugar levels. So overall, it could help keep you more healthy. So that's another thing that you'll likely notice when it comes to tracking your food. You'll likely have to incorporate more fiber into your diet, possibly even doubling your intake. So we'll get get back to some pros in a bit, but let's think about some of the negatives or some of the cons that could come out of this, this food tracking regime. Or is it pronounced resume? I don't know. So, when it comes to food tracking, this could actually create a bad habit with food. 
I've experienced this myself and with clients, but I'll just speak from my own experience. When it comes to food tracking, you might find out that eating something like 1800 calories will get you to your weight loss goal. So if you know this information, of course, you're going to try to eat this number so that you can lose weight. While there are going to be some dangers there because you could actually become too obsessed with all of these numbers, like always hitting your 1800 calorie goal or always eating a certain amount of carbs or fats or protein. And that's all well and good until it starts to interfere with your real life and well-being. Like if you're avoiding eating out at times with friends or you're just preventing yourself from having a good time because you can only eat so-and-so amount of calories, then that could cause rifts in your friendships or relationships because they might not want to invite you over or invite you out to dinner anymore. If you're going to avoid having a good time just because you don't want to eat over your calorie goal because going to a restaurant could lead to you overindulging at times, then that could affect your personal life and those around you, which I don't think is worth it in the long term. You have to remember that weight loss or weight gain or gaining muscle all the time shouldn't be at the forefront of everything in your life. It's about being healthy, and that's in terms of your body, your mental health, and even your social health, which is also something that gets overlooked in today's world, so just look out for that one, please. But going back a bit, okay, so if you do have a target goal of 1,800 calories to eat, for example, it's not like you have to eat that exact number every single day. You're human. Some days you'll eat more than that, some days less. But by the end of the week, reevaluate and see if you're actually pretty close to your goal number. Alright, so another con or negative when it comes to food tracking and I still get this one all the time. It's that it's annoying to track all your food. I hear ya. It can be pretty annoying and time-consuming. That's what I always hear. I don't have time to track my foods, or it's too hard. Something along those lines. Like I said earlier, if you want to learn more about your body or learn about certain foods, then it's good to track your food. That does not mean that you have to track every single meal until the day you die to achieve whatever goals you have. But yeah, you might have to track for a week or a bit longer to find out what your maintenance calories are. That is, how many calories you need to eat to maintain your body weight. That, in turn, will help you going forward when it comes to planning out your meals or adjusting what you eat in order to lose or gain weight when it comes to being more healthy in the long run. So when it comes to tracking, it's good to do it at times. That's what I think. But it's understandable if you're not going to do it all the time. And I definitely do not do it all the time. Something I like to do though is track my food maybe once a month for a few days to reevaluate what I'm eating. I'll pay attention to the food scale and body weight scale during those days to see if uh, what I'm eating coincides with my own future goals. After tracking that for a few days, you can generally determine by just looking at your food. You can get a pretty good idea or a pretty good estimate when it comes to your eating uh, and eating habits. Like, I usually have fruits like bananas every day. 
I'll weigh out a banana every now and then, and it's usually around 125 grams to 140 grams. And then just from weighing just from weighing it out one time, I have a pretty decent idea of how much the next banana I will eat. Uh, I'll have an idea how much it weighs. It doesn't have to be extremely perfect all the time. You just start to learn to be pretty good at eyeballing foods and determining the macros and calories from there, just with practice. And that's why I say, don't be too obsessed with this. It's about being healthy as a person, and sometimes that doesn't mean getting six-pack abs, having giant arms, or being a low body weight or body fat percentage. Being super lean is not healthy, regardless of what looks good on social media. Alright, so back to the positives, countering why you shouldn't be too obsessed with this. The awareness that food tracking gives you, I think it's great. It helped me realize that I was honestly snacking on way too many highly processed foods back in the day, and it helped me see that those weren't that important for me. I realized that they weren't very nutritious, and I didn't need to eat those every single day. And that leads me into my next one, which is pretty similar, and that's mindfulness when it comes to what you're eating. Like I said, food tracking could show you what macronutrients are in your food, uh, as well as the ma uh, micronutrients in your food. So macronutrients are protein, fats, and carbs. Micronutrients in your food, that's like vitamins and minerals that are in there. Like I said earlier, it opened my eyes when I realized that highly processed foods could pretty much be cut out completely because they didn't really offer any nutritional value. And that's something that the tracking apps made me aware of. And the last thing I'll mention is the way the apps track your food history. And that's in terms of the past and the present. It's great to have an app that keeps your food logs for a long amount of time. I'm able to go back and see what I ate like a few weeks ago if I really want to. And I'm also able to plan ahead and that'll help me plan my next day of meals. It definitely helps me when I'm uh, grocery shopping because I'm not just going to eat the same foods every single day. I do generally stick to similar meals, but the protein sources and carb sources change every few days. And if I pre-plan my meals ahead of time, it helps me come up with a certain meal plan going forward. And it helps me see where I can be a little bit flexible within my diet. So there's a little bit of my in-depth thoughts when it comes to food tracking. I do think there's more positives than negatives when it comes to food tracking, but I also know that it's not for everyone. I do think that it could help more people than not, as long as you try to avoid some of the obsessive habits that could happen. You can still lose weight without tracking food if you really don't want to do it, but it might be a little bit more difficult. But you can do that by avoiding highly processed foods, eating whole foods, and if you're looking to lose weight specifically, then maybe lean towards a uh, more of a plant-based diet. I don't mean going vegetarian or vegan, but it helps to drink more water and eat more vegetables. Maybe fill up your plate with more vegetables, because that'll help keep you fuller for a longer amount of time. Listen to your body when it comes to eating. 
don't just eat until you're completely full and eat when your body is telling you to and if you're feeling like you're low on energy. Not to mention, increasing protein within your diet could give you that same effect of feeling fuller for longer and especially if you're resistance training, protein is going to be important when it comes to recovering and repairing your muscles. Question two, how hard should you be training? So here's another one that I had to learn over time. Of course, as a younger guy, you just figure that the best way to get to whatever strength goals you're trying to get or to put as much muscle on the quickest way possible, it only makes sense that for you to get there, you have to push yourself every single set. Go until you can't do anymore. Go till failure every set. That should build the most muscle over time, right? Well, actually, that's probably the worst thing you can do. Especially if you're someone who's natural and doesn't take anabolics or steroids. And that's because you might be causing more damage to your muscles than your body is capable of repairing before your next session in the gym. So that's where you need to be a bit careful. So when it comes to training, I say this all the time, for most people with some training experience, an RPE of 8 is where you should be training to. RPE stands for Rate of Perceived Exhaustion, and in regular terms, I could break that down a bit further. So this scale is from 0 to 10, and it's basically just how difficult the set was. For a more specific example, if I'm squatting 135 pounds, let's say, so okay, I'm squatting 1, 2, three reps, four, five, six. Okay, so now it's starting to get a little bit difficult. Seven reps, eight reps. Now at this point, I can kind of figure out in my head that I can actually do 12 reps without my form breaking down. So I do my ninth rep and then I squeeze out another rep. So I end up doing 10 sets and then, oh, sorry, 10 reps and then racking the weight. But if I really wanted to push myself to the max, I could have done 12 reps, but I only did 10, and that's perfect. So that RPE would be 8 out of 10, because I could have got 12, but I stopped two, short, uh, two reps short of failure and did 10 reps. So that would be an RPE of 8. So generally, an RPE of 6 to 8 would be a good range to stop depending on your fitness experience and your fitness level. When I have new clients, I usually stop them well short of the RPE 8 mark because it's all new to them and pushing them to RPE 8 would likely be too difficult and could increase their risk of injury and their form breaking down. Because again, exercising is brand new to them. So yes, RPE 8 if you're pretty advanced in the gym, but you should be below that if you're new to the gym and not yet comfortable with whatever exercise you're doing. A similar scale, and maybe an easier one to use, is RIR, which stands for Reps in Reserve. So using this scale, like I said, it would be smart for your sets to have two RIR, so two reps left in the tank before failure. Pushing yourself too close to failure could be detrimental, but there could be a time and place for it. Going to an RPE of 10, so 10 out of 10, uh, the rate there, 10 out of 10, or something like that, so that's to failure, 
that could be good if you're safely using a machine or something like if you're doing biceps curls on a machine and it's your last set of the day and you're an advanced lifter that could be beneficial for you but at the same time if you're constantly pushing to the last rep for every single set that could lead to overtraining eventually so you have to be careful with this when it comes to training you need to train within your limits here's the thing I highly doubt anyone listening to this is planning on being Mr. Olympia or breaking some kind of powerlifting records. And if you are, good job. Keep up the good work. But even then, training till failure is not advisable. Most of the people listening to this podcast right now are looking to improve their health on a daily basis. In that case, working out and training yourself, we need to be thinking about the long term. It's not just one workout where we're trying to push to the limit. It's about doing a little bit of something every day. Yes, you do still need to try hard and push yourself, but to a certain extent. If you look at Olympic weightlifters, if you actually look and watch the way they train, they don't even go close to failure in their training leading up to something like the Olympics. They work with a heavy weight, yeah, but... Not nearly anywhere near what they're going to do when they're on the platform. They work with like 60 to 80% of their one rep max and do a few reps, but it's just constant repetition. And in terms of RPE, they're probably looking at somewhere in the 3 to 7 range. So like a 5 reps in reserve or something like that. Something like 5 reps in the tank. And that's actually most of their training working on perfecting their form with lighter weights with constant frequency. So how can you tell for yourself if your training is going well? You should notice your strength increase over time if you're consistent with everything that you're doing. If you're noticing that your strength is stalling or even decreasing, then overtraining could be one of the possible factors there. So this question, yeah, it's pretty tough to give a general answer because it really does depend on a few things like how many years you've been working out or training already. Of course, if you're more advanced, you can push yourself closer to failure, but an RPE of 8 is already on the more advanced end of the spectrum. Now, there are times where you can adjust your training intensity if needed. If you're working out once or twice per week, those are days where you could push yourself more than usual because there's going to be more time in between training days, so that's more time for your body to recover. Now, if you're someone who's working out almost every day, then that's when training intensity could be lowered a bit because you're working out every day and you want your body to be nearly 100% refreshed for your next training session, so it only makes sense that you would back off intensity slightly so that your body will recover in time for your next lifting day. So generally, when it comes to how hard you should be training, it's going to vary slightly. If you're a newer lifter and just getting into exercise, then you can stop well short of failure and see progress. So like an RPE of 5, so like a 5 out of 10 difficulty to start. As you get more advanced, like with months under your training belt, you can start to push it to 6 and 7 out of 10 slowly, and on the more advanced end, more of your training sets should be done at an RPE of 8. That's where I'm at. And that's where you're saving 2 reps in the tank. And on the rare occasion, if you're towards the end of your workout and doing isolation movements, 
I do think you can push it to RPE 9 at times, but like I said, save that for when you're an advanced lifter and have those years of experience already. And that concludes episode 59 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. If you want to follow me, your host, I'm Isaiah.Copon on Instagram. And you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram. And there's also a Facebook page if you just search Lift and Learn Podcast.